tell you something funny. It's telling Cindy this morning. We were praying for a church this morning, Sunday school, worship service, and all that. And Cindy's praying, and she said, Lord, you know, bless all these people. And then she said, and bless whoever's doing the special music. And, of course, I started laughing, and she's like, what? I said, we're doing special music. <laughs> Another one of those senior moments uh, as they appear. So, anyway, we are in Genesis chapter 2 this morning, 223 through 25. And we're going to look at the first marriage as we're doing a number of sermons on marriage. And so, uh, if you will stand in God's honor with me as I read aloud our text. The man said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for family. We thank you for how you draw a man and a woman together and and form a family, Lord. We thank you how you often bless with children. And Father, we just give you praise for your blueprint, Father, and for society and, and how things are meant to be. And I pray this morning as we take a deep dive into that first marriage that you would speak to us, Lord. We just want to worship you today. Thank you for allowing each of us to be here. And Father, I pray that we would leave with a desire to let other people know how good it is to be with you and to remember your blessings in our families. In your name we pray. Amen. Bank accounts can be troubling things, especially when your bank account is in the red instead of in the black. And, you know, not only is it a problem because (laughs) you obviously don't have enough money, but then they start tagging on these fines because you have gone under the amount of money that's in your account. Marriage is kind of like an account. We take too many withdrawals, uh, we're in trouble. There are fines. But we need to make deposits. And a strong marriage is based on a lot of deposits. So that when it comes time for there to be a withdrawal, there's something in the account. Guys, we are in a society where there are a lot of people who are in trouble. There are a lot of marriages that are struggling. And there are a lot of families that do not realize God's blueprint, His design for the family and for marriage. As a matter of fact, for many years now I have heard that half of marriages do not make it. And sometimes I hear over half of marriages do not make it. Um, I've talked to a lot of people the age of my kids who seem to have lost confidence in the institution of marriage. Why should we get married anymore? What difference does it make? And it breaks my heart. And quite frankly, as I look around at the way that marriage is often portrayed and promoted in our society, is it any wonder? I mean, just think about it. If we looked at any other area of life and said, well, it only works half the time, how much confidence would we have in that? I mean, would you really buy a car 
You know, if, if you went over to the Honda place where Trace is, and he said, well, you know, it works half the time. But the other half of the time, just, just make sure you know what tow truck to call. Or let's say you went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, you know, I'll give you this medicine, but it only works half the time. And I'm not sure that I can help you. I can't half the time. Well, how much confidence are you going to have in the doctor? Or these crazy cell phones? Sometimes I do think maybe they only work half the time. Uh, but what if, you know, they told you, yeah, it, you can take it and you can use it, but it's only going to work half the time. Or you go to a restaurant and, and man, you go in there and you hear, they have the best food. Oh, it's so good. But you go in there and then they have a big sign up and it says, you know, we have wonderful food, but eat at your own risk because half the time you'll get food poison. Now that would take away your confidence in the restaurant. Or our daughter, uh, this weekend, she has flown out to Michigan or Illinois or somewhere out there to see a good friend of hers who's having her 30th birthday. And she's flying back home uh, sometime today. And then next week, she's flying to uh, Puerto Rico with a friend. <laughs> I about lost that Cindy. Thank you, Jacob. But to Puerto Rico, and then she's flying back. And I mean, how much confidence would she have if she got in the airplane and said, well, you know, just uh, buckle your seatbelts. We've got a 50% chance of crashing, or we got a 50% chance of there's not really any oxygen in the plane if there's a problem, or, you know, so forth. You've got to have confidence. And there needs to be a confidence in God's design, in his blueprint for what he has created. I mean, I, I heard about these two kids. One was in kindergarten, and they asked, her, uh, asked this little guy said, about marriage. And he said, uh, five-year-old Bert, he said, as soon as I'm done with kindergarten, i got to get me a wife. Sounds to me like he was already spying out a class cutie. But his much older and wiser friend, Will, who was seven years old, when they asked him about marriage, this is what Will had to say. It gives me a headache to even think about that stuff. I'm just a kid, and I don't need this kind of trouble. I'm just seven. Well, I'm afraid the way marriage has often been portrayed and promoted, there are a lot of people there thinking, why? Why do I need this kind of trouble? But the fact of the matter is, it is part of God's design. It is part of his blueprint. And how can we have a healthy family and healthy relationship when we step out of the way the Creator has formed the family to be. The importance of the foundation of marriage that God has created. Someone has compared a marriage to a violin. It doesn't work without strings. I used to play a violin that has no strings, right? Once the music stops, the strings are still attached. There are marriages where there's no longer music. But there's still the strings. God wants to revive those marriages so that there'll be a life of beautiful music together. That's his intention. That's his heart. And we want to look this morning at several principles. The first one is that marriage forms a new family, a new identity between the man and the woman. So look at verse 23 again in our text. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. You know, it's kind of a strange thing. How many of you at your wedding leaned over to, you know, the, the best man or the matron of honor said, look over there, you're flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. That doesn't sound real romantic. But the picture here, th- this came out of a commentary. Listen to this, it says, scholars tell us, this is Hebrew par- parallelism. That's the thoughts that rhyme that build upon other thoughts. Rhythm is in these words. According to scholars, the first line has a two-beat rhythm. One, two, one, two. (laughs) And the second line has a three-beat rhythm. In other words, it's kind of a rap. And aren't you thankful I'm not going to try to rap? But the picture is that there was a music and there was an excitement. And when Adam saw Eve, he was like, wow! This is exciting stuff. He says, you're not like anything I have seen before. As a matter of fact, it's, it's interesting that there are new words that are used here when it describes the man and the woman. There's the ish and the isha, and they both come from the same root. So it is a picture of two that come from the same, the man and the woman. Adam and Mrs. Adam. And now we have the Adams family that were created together. This is from what uh, Calvin's translation. He says, Now at length I have obtained a suitable companion who is part of the substance of my flesh and in whom I behold as it were another self. So the man was able to look at someone who he could connect to, who was like him. And God brought them into covenant. And what is a covenant? It's an, a, it's an agreement. It's an arrangement. And so man and woman were brought into this covenant together. This, this is Ma- Malachi 2.14. The Lord has been a witness before you and the wife of your youth. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. Same word is used in Proverbs 2.17 that speaks of an adulteress who is about to break her covenant with her husband. Same word that's used when God speaks of the covenant he has with his people. This is from Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. So there was this covenant, this bringing together of a man and a woman to share the journey of life. Man, when people get married, and she's coming down that aisle, and he's standing there looking at her. He doesn't roll his eyes and say, well, there she is again. No, there is an expectation and an excitement about the ceremony, about what it means that they are being brought together. Somebody had once said Adam and Eve had the ideal marriage. He didn't have to hear about all the other men she could have married, and she didn't have to hear about how his mother would have cooked the meal. But the... But the truth of the matter is, there was a covenant, there was a bringing together, there was a new identity that transpired. Secondly, there's a responsibility. Probably the most famous verse as we think about the creation of marriage, how God instituted marriage. The text says, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one 
first of all, uh, says that there's leaving. One family, there's the, the word's literally abandoned, but it's not like you abandon and never see them again. <laughs> but it's that you leave one family and you form a new family. I, I love how one guy explained it. He said it essentially means to cut the cord of dependence that you now are adults where you were once considered to be children. That is what it means to leave. It is not that you ignore and, and you have no relationship with your parents. It means, though, that there is something new that is formed. And the relationship takes a different turn. That's what it means to leave and the importance of that. That's why, you know, in most uh, marriage ceremonies, you have a time uh, for the mom and dad or sometimes the dad to, to walk down with the bride and, and the uh, officiant, the preacher says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It's a picture of this. Leaving the family you've known to form that new family that God intends for you to have. But there's to be a new relationship. All other relationships are to be put in the back seat. And oftentimes marriages get into trouble because other relationships take precedence over the marriage relationship. There are relationships of, at work or um, other, or fri other friends that take the place that is meant for that relationship of marriage. And second, there's a cleaving, which means to be glued together or, or to be welded together. And it is a picture of life that is joined together and growing together in that walk. And the fact of the matter is, once you are glued and you're welded together, you can't be torn apart without there being damage. I don't want to break. People who go through terrible divorces, it's very painful. You can't go through a divorce and, and there not be pain. That is not God's intent. It is not God's heart. But there are many who are broken as a result of broken people. And when God had said what God has joined together, let no man separate or tear apart, because he knows that, that there's pain in being ripped apart. And when you go into a wedding ceremony, you, you don't go with the idea of, I'm looking for a back door. How can I get out of here? Where's the escape hatch? But God wants that to be a relationship that continues. And sometimes that doesn't happen. God wants there to be weaving, to bring together, to braid together two lives as they grow together. I mean, obviously there's a physical component to that and to have children and to share love in that way, but it's it's not just our bodies, it's our possessions, it's our insights, it's it's growing together, two lives being weaved together to share and, and to be stronger as together. That's what God does. Here, this is from Wayne Mack's book. I love his description. He says, it's the type of relationship that is shared with no one else other than one's mate. It's a partnership in every area of life for as long as both partners live. In other words, there's absolutely nothing about which one spouse may say to the other, 
That's none of your business. The wife has complete and unfettered excess to every area of her husband's life, and so also the husband to every area of his wife's life. There are no locked doors or secret hiding places. And this is a journey of life. This doesn't happen overnight. And yes, there are times where there are parts of life that are not completely shared, but God wants to weave those lives together. Someone has said that marriage isn't held together by chains, but by threads. It's delicate. And as we learn to share with one another, and as we learn to open our hearts to one another, uh, that is a delicate thing to do, a difficult thing to do. I read of a couple that went to see the Eiffel Tower, and it was closed down. And they were very disappointed. And they asked, you know, why is it closed where no one can go see it? He said, well, every couple of years, we weld over the joints of the Eiffel Tower. And where we need to, we reapply, weld, to make sure that it's strong. And I thought, what a, what a great idea in regard to marriages. Sometimes we need to be sure that there are weak areas that are not being ignored and not being attended to, that we need to spend time making sure that those areas are strengthened. Because oftentimes it's not by force, it's not by chains that marriages are held together, but by the delicacy of threads and openness. So you have identity and that responsibility and the leaving, the cleaving, and the weaving. And that leads us, that leads us to this last verse. It says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And, and the word here literally means to lay bare. It is a picture of being vulnerable to one another. It's intimacy. And, you know, of course, a lot of times, the guy mind, you hear intimacy, and it's like, oh, boy, you know what's coming, you know. But oftentimes, um, you know, in the wife's mind, it's a little deeper than that. There are, other, you know, uh, deeper conversations, a deeper sharing of the hearts together. Uh, intimacy is more than, than just the physical. Um, it's sharing joys, sharing heartbreaks together. Um, it's growing together that life. I want to close with an illustration um, that was written by a granddaughter as she observed the love of her grandparents together. And uh, I had asked, there's a word to stick up here. There it is. Thanks. Shamili. <laughs> and I'm just going to read from her words because her writing was probably better than me trying to uh, improve it. My grandparents were married for over half a century, and they played their own special game from time to time, a game that they began when they met each other. The goal of their game was to write the word Shamili in a surprise place for the other to find. They took turns leaving Shamili around the house. As soon as one of them discovered it, it was their turn to hide it once more. They dragged Shamili with their fingers through sugar and flour containers to await whoever was preparing the next meal. They smeared it in the dew on the windows overlooking the patio where my grandma always fed us warm homemade pudding with no blue food coloring. Shamili was written in the steam left on the mirror after a hot shower where it would reappear again and again, bath after bath, 
At one point, my grandmother even unrolled an entire roll of toilet paper to leave Shamili on the last sheet. There was no end to the place Shamili would pop up. Little notes with Shamili inscribed hurriedly were found on dashboards, car seats, taped to steering wheels. Notes were stuffed inside shoes, pillowcases. Shamili was written on the dust upon the mantle and traced on the ashes of the fireplace. This mysterious word was as much a part of my grandparents' house as the furniture. It took me a long time before I was able to fully appreciate my grandparents' game. Skepticism had kept me from believing in true love, one that's pure and enduring. However, I never doubted my grandparents' relationship. They had love down pat. It was more than their flirtatious little games. It was a way of life. Their relationship was based on devotion, passionate affection, which not everyone's lucky enough to experience. Grandma and Grandpa held hands, stole kisses, bumped into each other, no time to go to the kitchen. They finished each other's sentences and shared crossword puzzles daily. My Grandma whispered to me about how cute Grandpa was, how handsome an old man he had grown to be. She claimed she really knew how to pick them. Before every meal, they bowed their heads and gave thanks, marveling at their blessings, wonderful family, good fortune, and thanks for each other. But there was a dark cloud in my grandparents' life. My grandmother had breast cancer. The disease appeared 10 years earlier. As always, Grandpa was with her every step of the way. He comforted her in their yellow room, painted the color so she could always be surrounded by sunshine, even when she was too sick to go outside. Now the cancer once again attacked her body. With the help of a cane and my grandfather's steady hand, they went to church every Sunday morning. But Grandma grew weaker until finally she could not leave the house. For a while, Grandpa would go to church alone, praying to God to watch over his wife. Then one day, what we all dreaded finally happened. Grandma was gone. Shamili... It was scrawled in yellow on the pink ribbons of my grandmother's funeral bouquet. As the crowd thinned and the last mourners turned to leave, my aunts and uncles, cousins, and other family members came forward and gathered. They gathered around Grandma one last time. Grandpa stepped up to my grandmother's casket, took a deep breath, and began to sing. Through his tears and grief, the song came, a deep, throaty lullaby. Shaking with my own sorrow, I will never forget that moment, for I knew then that although I couldn't begin to fathom the depth of their love, I had been privileged to witness its unmatched beauty. He sang, Shamili, see how much I love you. Shamili. That's what God wants through you. What he wants through your family. Let's pray. God, uh, Sometimes we grumble about one another, what we care about, Lord. But you want us to have real intimacy. And, and that comes from a foundation in Christ. That comes from a real walk with you and being a servant to the people around us. And certainly that's true in a marriage, Lord. We're called to serve our spouse. Not that they're called to have to serve us. And... Father, I thank you for Shamili. May I be able to 
communicate that with my wife, Lord, with how much I love you. I pray for each husband and wife here that that would be true. I pray, God, that you would do a move and a work in our lives that would be evident by the power of God. Um, your word tells us that marriage is meant to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Father, may we give the right picture in our marriages, Lord, and in our homes, in our relationships. And Father, we just want to give you room to speak to us and to work in our lives for your glory, Lord. And so we surrender to you this morning. And maybe someone here needs to make that first and ultimate surrender of sin to a Savior who's waiting to forgive. Or, Father, um, even outside of marriage, to another relationship where it's time to forgive. And, Father, may those around us be able to see Shamila. So, Father, work among us as we look to you for this time of response. In Christ's name, amen.